The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files and Podcasters for Justice are creators united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of police. And we're committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we witness it. In creating digital media, We've committed to using our voices to speak against racism and police brutality, and we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. You'll find many resources in the show notes about how you can help. Thanks for listening. So the beginning of the process is hardest because I have to have the idea. The idea is easy, but then how do you make it into a story? And then you have to develop it and layer it so that you have personal stakes as well as, you know, criminal justice stakes. And then, you know, how you're going to deliver it after that outline. So I have a general idea of the story. Then what I do is I break it down into chapters. Greetings, scribes. You're tuned into The Writer Files, a place where anything can happen. I'm still your humble host, Kelton Reed, sending you calm and well-being during these very challenging times. This week, best-selling author and famed criminal lawyer, Marsha Clark, dropped by to chat about the perils of celebrity, how she got her start as a TV producer, and the highs and lows of the writing process. This is a double episode with a surprise debut author you won't want to miss. Marsha's been practicing criminal law since 1979, and she joined the L.A. District Attorney's Office in 81. She served as prosecutor for the high-profile trials of Robert Bard and, most notably, O.J. Simpson. She co-wrote the number one New York Times bestseller, Without a Doubt, which chronicled her work on the Simpson trial. Marsha writes the best-selling crime fiction series centered on the morally ambiguous criminal defense attorney, Samantha Brinkman. Her latest is the conclusion of that critically acclaimed series, Final Judgment, which debuted in 2016 with the number one Amazon bestseller, Blood Defense. Publishers Weekly said of the book, the plot twists are plausible and shocking in this intelligent page turner. Marsh has been a frequent commentator on Today, Good Morning America, The Oprah Winfrey Show, CNN, and MSNBC, and a legal correspondent for Entertainment Tonight. Stay tuned for this double episode, 
that includes a debut crime novelist who shares her story of rejection, stereotypes, and finding your voice, I think her parents are going to be pretty proud. In this file, Marcia and I discussed how the author embraced write what you know, how to outline ripped from the headline novels, why she misses being a prosecutor in the 80s, the future of publishing, and how to take a deep breath and keep going. Stay safe and stay sane out there. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Yes, it's true. We're back for another pandemic edition of The Writer Files. And I'm honored today to be joined by the uh, best-selling thriller author Marsha Clark stopping by to enlighten us about all things writing. How are you surviving the apocalypse? Let's talk about your your perils. Oh my God, it's crazy town. Since the lockdown in mid-March, my first thing that happened is my desktop computer went belly up. Then the oh, water heater sprung a leak, had to be replaced. Then today, my laptop went belly up. So... <laughs> It's like the wheels are coming off. We're throwing spokes over here. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. The wheels are coming off at the apocalypse. Well, <laughs> thank you for taking the time to do this. And, you know, as we often uh, explain to listeners, we try to get writers in their natural habitats. So, of course, Marsha's on the phone today because of that laptop issue. But um, we appreciate you taking the time. And um, as we often do, uh, wind back the clock a little bit for us and kind of uh, take us back to earlier in your life and in your career, you know, just maybe when, when you realized that, um, that this writing thing might be, uh, you know, how did you become a bestselling author, I think, and, and, and maybe the Cliff's Notes edition of uh, your uh, rise to uh, fame. <laughs> I guess it was after I uh, collaborated on the book about the Simpson trial. Um, and I had the best writer as my collaborator, Teresa Carpenter, who was just a genius. It was a wonderful experience. And it reminded me of how much I wanted to write when I was a kid. Um, but I didn't, I did not have the courage. And so I didn't, didn't try. And then I said to Teresa, let's write crime novels. Cause that's what I wanted to do. And she said, no, you go write crime novels. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't think I could. And she, yes, you can. She was very encouraging and wonderful, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I, what I wound up doing was um, getting hired to be a consultant on a television show for Lifetime, um, a one-hour drama based on the Los Angeles DA's office, and in the process got uh, to write scripts and loved it. Had the best time. Loved writing scripts. And the creator of the show and I then went out and sold pilots, uh, wrote pilots together. And in the course of doing that, I read, I remembered, you know, I'd really like to write novels. And so by no means was my first effort <laughs> anything I want anybody to see. Hmm. I say efforts plural because I took a, a, quite a few runs at it before I had something that anyone would look at. And then I did. Ultimately, it began, it became my first series, the Rachel Knight series, featuring uh, the lead, which was, who was a um, prosecutor in Los Angeles. <laughs> they say, right, what do you know? 
and so that I, that was the first series of books. I wrote four of them for Little Brown under their Mulholland uh, imprint. And then after that, developed a new series based on a criminal defense lawyer, because I was a defense attorney before I was a prosecutor. Um, and that the lead of that was Samantha Brinkman, first book on that in that series is Blood Defense. And I just, uh, we just uh, dropped <laughs> the fourth in the, in the series. And the fourth book in the Samantha Brinkman series is Final Judgment. And that was really a fun one. I have to say these four, not these novels are all, uh, even though they're a series, you can jump in at any point. So you could read Final Judgment without having read the first three in, in the series. Um, so that's kind of the thumbnail sketch of how I got to where I got. <laughs> yeah. And Final Judgment has been described plot twists that are plausible, shocking, and an intelligent page turner. Booklist said with its fast moving plot and winning characters, this fourth entry in the Brinkman series will keep readers turning pages and rooting for Sam. And of course, as you describe it, a morally ambiguous criminal defense attorney. <laughs> Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Uh, when does it feel like, you know, you and the character overlap in, in some of the elements of the plot or the development of the character? And then when does it feel like work in your process? You know, when you're doing research or when you're going back to the kind of the memories of your past and I want to talk more about the TV stuff, but yeah, when does it, how do you kind of keep it fun or keep it, um, the energy of it up for yourself? Yeah. You know, it, 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 there are highs and lows in this process for sure. And I think the hardest part is that the starting 
um, I kind of do, I approach my, my process, if you will, um, is one that I learned in the process of learning how to write scripts. Um, so what I do is I come up with, in script world, it would be what they call an outline. And it's basically, first I do a little summary of a story. And in that summary, I have to figure out what is the story I want to tell? What are my characters going to do? What is the presenting crime? What are the issues I want to address? What kind of personal issues are going to come up? And so that's, that's like, <laughs> I call it breaking rocks, the hard part, because you have to, you're, I'm, I'm coming up for it usually from scratch. And a lot of times, I think I come up with what my, my kernel of things is, is something in the real world, an issue that I've seen in the real world. So, for example, final judgment. I was thinking at that time about people, uh, about a, a fraud, a Bitcoin fraud that I had read about, in which a lot of people got creamed um, investing in Bitcoin stock. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll make that my presenting crime. And I, so that I wrapped everything around that. But, and so I wanted to make it personal as well. So I have Samantha's love interest, Nico, who is a world-famous martial arts um, expert and also entrepreneur, um, started investing with these two guys. Gold, there's a company called Goldstrike. And I uh, made a lot of money with them. He turned on his friends and his family, his mother, uh, onto Goldstrike. And then it turned out to, it, it went completely crashed. Hmm. Everybody lost millions and millions. And his mother was wiped out. Nico, being the one who's closest to these partners, goes to see them. Basically, both of them, one winds up dead, one winds up missing, and Nico is the person of interest. And Sam has to represent her boyfriend. Um, and she has various doubts about whether or not um, he's guilty of the crime and is upset because if he did kill them, she's all right with that. <laughs> they, they, they need to kill him. But she fails to really nail her own hypocrisy because she frequently kills people who need killing. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of um, moral ambiguity to this particular story and a lot of Sam having to come to terms with who she is, who he is, and, and her previous inability to really let him in and have a real relationship. She, has, she had a very traumatic childhood, so getting close to people has always been a challenge for her. In this book, we see her kind of meet that challenge and also uh, get rid of a bad guy that has been plaguing her from the very beginning of the series and someone who's been plaguing her her whole life. So, so, yeah, so I start with kind of an issue that's swirling around in my head, you know, something that has to do with, you know, I, something I read, something in the headlines, that sort of thing. Like, for example, also in, in Snap Judgment, which I think is the third in the Samantha series, I was thinking a lot about revenge porn and the devastating impact it had on usually girls um, who get new pictures, you know, circulated and they get blackmailed into sending more and that sort of thing. And so that was the issue presenting that I wanted to do in Snap Judgment. And then I wrapped the whole story around that issue. So anyway, so the beginning of the process is hardest because I have to have the idea. The idea is easy, but then how do you make it into a story? And then you have to develop it and layer it so that you have personal stakes as well as, you know, criminal justice stakes. And then, you know, how you're going to deliver it after that outline. So I have a general idea of the story. Then what I do is I break it down into chapters. So each chapter I'll write a line. Like Sam finds, um, finds a witness in this apartment complex in Burbank. 
And then next chapter two, you know, that witness, that witness turns out to be the sister of blah, blah, blah. So each chapter has its own, it's like a, each chapter is a scene unto itself. Yeah. And then once that's done, once I have the chapter breakdown, then it gets to be really fun. Because then I can just sit down and write and let the, the ideas fly because I know that I have the story basically broken out. I know that I have a beginning, middle, and end, and I have enough, I have enough twists to start because once I start writing, I'll come up with more twists and turns, but that's, that's when it gets to be like really fun. So it's kind of like the roller coaster where, you know, you're going slowly up, 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 up forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you reach the top and you go, whee! <laughs> and it's kind of like that. <laughs> I love that. Then now let's take a quick break to introduce a debut novelist. Crime writer Christina Nadenova, a name you'll want to remember. She reached out about her recently self-published thriller titled The Black Sisterhood Files about a group of teenage girls that assist the police with unsolved and often mysterious crimes. The 12-year-old talked about how she's endured and overcome countless rejections, stereotypes, and bumps in the road. All right, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am uh, really excited today to be joined by a special guest. I have 12-year-old crime novelist Christina Nadenova. Thank you so much for taking time today to uh, wrap with us about writing. Thank you so much for having me on The Writer Files. <laughs> of course. This is a thrill. Um, yeah, so I want to talk to you all about the things, and of course... As we do with every author of the Writer Files, let's talk a little bit about your superhero origin story. So, um, yeah, I understand, you know, you've uh, had some rejections and, and dealt with some some personal uh, struggles as a, as a young writer. And I, I don't think at 12 years old I was uh, aspiring to write a novel. But, yeah, tell, <laughs> us, a, tell us a little bit about this journey and, and kind of some of the challenges that you've come up against. To be frank, when I went into the process, I wasn't expecting for it to be difficult because I did not realize how how onerous it is to establish credibility in a field that is predominantly dominated by adults. So when I first began to query literary agents upon finishing my book, I was actually very astonished to receive so many rejections because if I'm being entirely candid, I thought that it would be a simple process, but it was far from that. And this helped me learn that I should never give up and continuously fight for my goals despite the hardships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's an inspiring story, uh, to have a, uh, novel out there in the world. And of all things, of course, it's a kind of gritty and, uh, it's got some really nice reviews there. I like this five star review over on Amazon. The Black Sisterhood Files by Christina Nadenova is a captivating murder mystery filled with vivid descriptions and plot twists that will keep you on the edge of your seat. And uh, yeah, let's talk about the book. It all takes place at Parkersburg High School, which is a, is is it a real high school? Is it a fictional high school? Because Parkersburg, West Virginia is a real place, right? Yes. And Parkersburg High School is a real place as well. Have you visited the high school or did you just uh, do some uh, uh, kind of some online research? I have not visited the high school in person, but I did do plenty of online research. That's awesome. So uh, it's a it's a gritty, uh, obviously a uh, a very very kind of a dark. It starts out with a rather dark twist. So talk a little bit about about how you came to um, this very interesting plot. 
So actually, I read my first Stephen King novel when I was eight years old. It was It by Stephen King. And this motivated me to think more and read more novels that were in the realms of crime fiction and thriller because I was so morbidly fascinated by all of those topics. And I thought it would be very distinctive to base my book off of characters who are approximately my age and had to deal with the murder mystery at the heart of their hometown. Well, um, it is a compelling read. I am enjoying it very much. Of course, we'll drop a link to the Black Sisterhood into the uh, show notes. And talk a little bit about your relationship with author Daniel Pink, because Dan has been on this show um, mm-hmm. previously, and he's a very well-known nonfiction writer. But yeah. um, you have a, a kind of a unique relationship with Mr. Pink. Yes, so I have actually read and gotten signed his books, When to Sell as Human and Drive. We met personally at a conference that took place in September where he introduced his new debut novel, When, about the secret timing of humanity. Hmm. But originally, we just conversed through email, and he very graciously presented me with some tips as to how we should go about the publication process and the overall writing journey. That's cool. That's really neat to have a, a mentor as, uh, you know, he's a, he's a pretty, uh, well-known, uh, figure. And he of course yeah. was a, was a, uh, speech writer, uh, for a president, I believe. Oh, wow. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> Always <laughs> great you, to find out something new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, this is really a thrill, Christina. And, uh, you know, I think, it's interesting to me your your kind of mission to change people's stereotypes about younger writers, and you don't sound like a twelve year old, um, at least from my estimation. I have a seven year old, but of course, um, she very much sounds like a seven year old, and uh, your your vocabulary is is impressive. Um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, tell tell me a little bit more about kind of um, how you see your future as a a young author, what you want to accomplish, um, yeah, your hope, kind of your hopes, fears, dreams. You're absolutely correct when you say that I want to break the boundaries for you because it is a very strenuous feat to break through in this field. And I know that from personal experience, but I want to wield my journey as a global exhortation for all the novelists out there. And actually, I've been connecting with a lot of young writers lately and giving them tips as to how to go about writing and they should never give up hope because yes, it will be a hard process. It will be very challenging, but I am here to help them. I'm here to guide them. That is, I will continue to publish books and inspire. That's really, really, really cool to hear. So where do you see yourself in five years? In five years, I would like to see myself in Harvard University getting a law degree, studying quantum mechanics, and with a couple published books. Oh my goodness. That, you are really, really going for it. I, I uh, take my hat off to you and salute, salute that dream. Um, how, are you, how are you handling maybe not being in school right now and kind of uh, what that future looks like with, uh, you know, this is obviously being recorded during a pandemic. So mm-hmm. there's some, there are some question marks kind of around um, whether or not you'll be in school or you'll be remote learning. How do you feel about that? Well, the education system will inevitably change. It's never going to be the same again, as well as commuting to work and just the overall norm for life. It's not going to be regular anymore. 
And truly, it's been hard to market because usually I could go out to bookstores or personally communicate with people, but now I have to do it all through online or virtual podcasts. And that's great. It's been it's been fabulous, but it would just be much simpler if there was no pandemic. <laughs> well put. All right. So let's talk about kind of your writing process. And when you're putting together a novel, obviously, uh, you're spending some time at, at the keyboard. Um, what does a, uh, a typical writing day kind of look like for you? A typical writing day, I usually wake up and I usually go for a walk to clear my head. Afterwards, I sit down, I write for a couple hours and I don't want to overwhelm myself because I know that it can that my writing can get quite slapdash if I just sit there for hours at a time without refocusing and replenishing my energy. So I tend to write for a couple hours, then take a walk outside, then write some more. Well, you mentioned some really famous, famous writers. Uh, Do you have some favorites right now, aside from Mr. King, um, that you're really enjoying or or that you have next to your bed that you're you're, uh, picking up? George Orwell, I just finished reading 1984, which was a book that resonated very profoundly with me, as well as Animal Farm by him. And I would say I started picking up quite a lot of classics, such as Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and Dracula Mm. by Bram Stoker. Yeah, yeah. Frankenstein is a uh, a classic, classic uh, Mm sci-fi novel that uh, is one of my favorites also. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So here's a fun one for you. If you could uh, have dinner with any author from any era and uh, take them to your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? I would take Edgar Allan Poe to a French restaurant near the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) And I would really just like to discuss with him the inspiration behind all of his stories, primarily the Telltale Heart, because that's my favorite by him. Excellent, excellent. Have you been to uh, Paris? I have, yes. It's my favorite city. Oh, that's, that's very cool. Well, um, yeah, uh, I think, you know, is there anything else that, uh, before we kind of wrap up that you want to share with your, your fellow scribes on just how to, how to keep going? And, and, you know, I think from your unique vantage point, um, yeah, what would you say to other, uh, young aspiring novelists just about how to, how to keep going? When you lack ideas or inspiration for writing, more commonly known as writer's block, you shouldn't keep pushing yourself to write. You shouldn't, you, you should the ideas should be naturally generated. They should come to you. So I would really suggest if you stumble upon writer's block and encounter and encounter it, then take a couple of days or maybe even a couple of weeks off to refocus and gather your thoughts together because it's no use to keep pushing yourself. Nothing will come out of that. And in the end, you'll just have to rewrite and re re-edit it all love that well uh where else do you want to connect with listeners out there or readers Uh, of course we'll drop a link to the black sisterhood files and i will just uh read a uh, a little bit here about the book Mm -hmm. upon moving to her new home lexi torres soon realizes that her life has morphed into a never-ending cycle of murder mystery and peculiar discoveries it is a page turn folks check it out i'll drop in the show notes uh where else do you want to connect with uh your fans out there i would really like to someday get up on the ted stage the main ted stage and talk about my journey to hundreds 
you know, well, thousands of viewers out there. <laughs> Let's go for millions. Let's go for millions. Millions, yeah. Millions. That's more um, <laughs> Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And um, it is a truly inspiring journey. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. I, I know that you're going to be successful at whatever you, whatever uh, journeys you undertake. But uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to leave uh, listeners with before we sign off? I think we've covered everything. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it is truly a pleasure. And uh, please come back again in the future. Of course. And now back to my chat with Marsha Clark. And I think your uh, screenwriting and, and TV production past probably serves you very well in that capacity, given how important that is to uh, kind of that five-act structure, especially in television. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's cool to see that, you know, your, your fiction has received quite a bit of interest, of course, from Hollywood and, and um, of course, Los Angeles plays a rather important component to uh final judgment and you know you've written of course as a native of of california about the city uh or at least incorporated the city kind of as a character i've talked about this with other authors who write about los angeles and i've spent some time in los angeles myself but uh yeah talk a little bit about la kind of as this you know this cruel mistress who uh I don't know. She's, she's, she's hard not to, to love, you know, something, something very dark, a dark underbelly as, as it's described. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about Los Angeles as the importance of, uh, uh, Los Angeles to your fiction. Yeah, it really is a character. I think that when, once you live in a place like this for a period of time, it's hard not to be, um, not to answer that siren song because, yeah, what you say is exactly right. You know, there's this glamorous, um, superficial layer where it's, you know, Hollywood and movie stars and TV stars and all this other stuff. And then there is, there are all those people who um, are aspiring to make it, who sometimes do, but then sometimes don't. And then everyone else who just lives a regular life. You know, it's not, it's not glamour town for the vast majority of us who live here. So, and then, of course, there is the really underbelly where people are not making it. And what's really interesting, and I think that's true, of course, in every city, but what's new, what's different to me about Los Angeles is it feels like every part of a county is a different, almost part of the country. Like mm. there are parts of, uh, yeah, there's parts of the county, like in Glendale and in La Cañada, that don't feel like California even. They feel more like the Midwest in nature. You know, there's a kind of a small town feeling to them. And then you have apart parts of California that could be Florida. You have parts that, you know what I mean? And so, and each of these different neighborhoods has a different um, texture, a different flavor to them. For example, um, my second book in the series, which was Moral Judgment, uh, or no, Moral Defense, Moral Defense, is set in a Glendale kind of neighborhood, um, which is a nice suburban uh, neighborhood, very law-abiding, very middle-class, and the uh, presenting crime is the murder of an entire family. The daughter is the only survivor, young daughter, like 13. And Sam represents her and helps her because she's alone in the world. Um, and putting the, the a heinous crime like that in the middle of this little bedroom town was really, you know, a, an exercise in itself and makes it a, a very different feel than 
flood defense, which is set in Laurel Canyon, where the, a double homicide, it's uh, the murder of TV star, film star who was on the skids, fell into drugs, spiraled down, and was just making her comeback when she and her roommate were murdered. Um, and Sam represents the LAPD detective who is accused of the crime, and then in the course of representing him, finds out that he's her father, um, which he knew but didn't tell her. So, and so centering the case in that particular part of town, which is really Hollywood, and focusing on the people who were aspiring to make it in the TV business and weren't making it, made it for a whole different feeling and a whole different um, set of values and a whole different crowd than the one in, say, moral defense where, you know, it's a very sleepy kind of suburban town. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Los Angeles is kind of a somewhat uh, sprawling, I guess, megalopolis in a sense, but um, does feel very different in, uh, you know, as you are driving uh, east uh, or, or even, west, you know, east to west or west to east. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Coming back to, I think, maybe the incorporation and marriage of, you know, what you do so well, which is kind of the cinematic piece of, um, you know, incorporating your legal expertise and, of course, um, plotting these intricate crime fiction and, and legal thrillers. Uh, do you find, you know, now as you've worked um, on this Annie TV series, uh, Marsha Clark investigates the first 48, did you find that working on a show like that, which I assume has wrapped the first season? Yes, it, 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 we're done. That's, that's it. The show that you see is the show that's all you get. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was that going from, you know, of course you've done, you've done some TV and, and um, TV appearances, of course, and, and worked with as a consultant on other shows, but what was it like to kind of delve into, you know, again, your experience as a prosecutor, defense attorney, and then uh, going to, a series like this where you probably have a team of right investigators working with you or, or, you know, you're looking at stuff, but did it feel, did that feel like going back to work? Did it feel like it was more of a kind of a star turn for you? What, what was that process like for you as a writer? Um, well, you know, I did a lot of hosting, um, for NBC in the many years ago. So I was not unfamiliar with being in front of the camera as a host. But um, it was fun. It was, you know, it, has, it was a mix of kind of feeling like I was, you know, I went back to work because it was investigative. Um, and of course, yes, we had a team, um, had a great team on that show. They were just amazing what they found and pulled together because um, it was a challenging format. What we did was we took the most notorious cases, ones you've heard of, um, Casey Anthony, Robert Blake, you know, those kind of well, well-known cases and delved in to find things that you didn't know, things that you didn't read or hear about. So, um, so it was a real deep dive into each of those notorious cases. A lot of work, a lot of research involved. But um, in the course of really um, talking to, I was, I was basically interviewing and uh, you'd call a direct examination <laughs> on camera of all the witnesses and the people involved in the cases. And in that sense, it did kind of feel like I was back in court again. Hmm. So... <laughs> it was, it, but it was, a, of course, more fun than talking to witnesses in a park 
and on the street is not quite the same. But um, it was it was an interesting blend of my experience as a prosecutor with my experience in hosting and you know doing on camera work. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it would be a little bit more fun than some of the work you did in the eighties uh, for the LA District Attorney's oh, yeah. Office. <laughs> Um, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, you know, being a prosecutor was really fun. I mean, I did love it. It was it really. I mean, fun seems a little bit too flip, but it was it was a very satisfying job. It was you know, it got to feel like you were really doing something good in the world. It's also incredibly fascinating. You know, the the investigation and solving of crimes and you know presenting to a jury was really hard work, but very satisfying work. So. And, and yeah, I enjoyed it. So I guess when we say fun, that, that's a very big word. So it's not fun in the sense of going to a disco back in the 80s but, or 70s, but it was really, um, it was a very involving and very intriguing and very um, gratifying job to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it shows in your work and congratulations on all of your successes. Um, what are you working on now? Are you um, plotting a a new fiction series? Have you moved on to um, some different formats? And uh, are you presently writing? I am writing. I am writing a standalone. I, was, I meant to do a standalone um, after I finished the Rachel Knight series about the prosecutor. I thought, I need to write a standalone. And I tried to start writing a standalone, went through a number of different ideas, nothing worked. And then Sam Brinkman appeared and said, what about me? <laughs> Literally, in my head, this is character appeared and I thought, okay, I guess I'm doing another series. But this time when I finished um, the final judgment, this last book that came out in April, I thought I really, really want to do a standalone. I'm doing it. And so I really am doing it. Um, and it's going, it's really a, a very different kind of book. It's told from the perspective of two women. So we alternate chapters between them. And each one has a very each one has um, a lot of buried secrets that are serious, and one of them had anyway. I can't give it all away, but but they it's kind mm. of a cat and mouse between them. Um, one is trying to hide the secrets; they're both trying to hide secrets, but one of them is actively trying to uncover the others. And they're so they're they're and they're yoked together as a team prosecuting a double homicide. So it's a really different experience than anything I've had before because. All, both these characters are troubled in their own way in a very different way than I usually have. And so, yeah, presenting its own unique challenges, but it's a good thing because, you know, you've got to, I feel like I should always be trying to stretch and do something different. Um, I wish I hadn't kicked my own ass quite so hard, huh. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's a good, ultimately when I get this book done, I will feel glad that I, I didn't cave in and say, let me go do something easier. Yeah, that's cool. I'll we'll look forward to that one. It sounds um, like you're finding uh, some similar, and, and you've you, obviously you've done some ripped from the headline stuff. So are you incorporating some kind of, uh, t again, timely crimes or fraud into the, uh, into the mix there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, always. You know, I mean, in this particular book, it's less ripped from the headlines, but I, I, you know, it's always hard to talk about these things. Hard to no. talk about a book without giving away, doing spoilers all over the place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so understandable. You wind up saying, well, it's a, sort of uh, this or uh, that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying <laughs> to get not, it out of you, Marsha. 
know. <laughs> What's Sorry. that about? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this time I thought, I'm not going to rip from the headlines. I want to, I want to, I want to make this much more character based. I want it to be much more about somebody did something they shouldn't have done. And what happens as a result of that? All the one little act, one wrong step led to a wave of uh, unintended consequences that ends in a few dead bodies. And and the person who set these wheels in motion had no intention of doing that. And that's what I wanted to create is that situation where you have a good person who did a wrong thing. Yeah. Love it. Well, we'll be excited to hear more about that as, as it gets closer to uh, reality for you. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, of course, point at all of the things, uh, marshaclarkbooks.com, where you can find uh, lots of great information there and links to all of the books um, in both series. Lots of great uh, resources there. Of course, the latest is Final Judgment, and that is the fourth book in the Samantha Brinkman series. But I will link to that as well. And then, uh, yeah, before we kind of wrap up with your advice to uh, fellow scribes out there and just how to keep going, you know, I mean, just maybe your hot take on how the pandemic is going to, um, I don't know, change, change the publishing industry. Well, good question. You know, I don't know. It seems to me, logically, that um, publishing was already something that could be done remotely. You know, it was already, we all sit alone in front of our laptops or desktops or whatever. For those who are fortunate to have that kind of stuff that actually works, as opposed to my situation, um, we're used to sitting alone in front of a screen and creating and sending things uh, digitally in. So we, we've never had to really sit in the same room. It was never. So that's a good thing. And marketing has become much more digital too. And people do need to have something to do when they can't go anywhere. So I would think that books would do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to go to a store. You know, there's a way in which publishing is already set up very well for this situation. So yeah. hopefully that, that means yep. that they'll do okay. Yeah, sure. And I'm sure that the indies will uh, bounce back, fingers crossed. Uh, and yes. that's, uh, you know, obviously. Right. I mean, that's who you worry about, the, the independent bookstores. You know, that's where the pain is felt. You know, the, the smaller retail operations of all kinds are the ones that I worry about the most. Yeah. Quick, um, another hot take on, for your fellow scribes, on just how to keep going, how to stay motivated. You know, I guess, I guess what I would say is, I, I don't know whether I'm alone in this or not, but there are definitely days where I feel like I am such an idiot. <laughs> I can't think of anything. My brain is not working. <laughs> I should just give up. And I don't, I hope I'm not alone, but I can say this to others. Um, you're not alone because I sure feel that way uh, frequently. And so I have had other authors tell me, of course, of course I've had those headbanging sessions where it feels like I have no ideas. I have no brain. <laughs> I shouldn't even be trying to give up. And, you know, uh, give up and go see if you can get a job, a real job. <laughs> but, but that's not the case. Everybody hits bad spots. Everybody hits those times when it's just really hard to think. And the only thing I can say is rather than sit in front of the screen and pound your head against the wall, get up, take a walk, you know, even if you're walking in circles. And if you can, get outside 
or even just stand outside um, and refresh your brain and remember that you're not alone and that <laughs> we all have these times when things are just really hard, you'll get through it. And just don't let yourself stop. Don't give up. Sage advice. Thank you so much, Marsha, for taking the time. I know you got to get moving, but um, we really appreciate it. And please come back again another time. Oh, I sure will. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. 